Welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons, and we're so glad to have you with us today in the household of faith. Today, we're going to show you part one of a new series of messages we're calling There Came a Sound from Heaven. Now, this is a part of our series that we've been in all year long on the anointing. But there is a sound, and if you listen for it, you will become an echo of this sound from heaven and spread this sound all throughout the world. I want you to watch this today. I want you to be blessed, but stay with us all the way through the end of this broadcast. So right now, I want to take you into family night for part one of There Came a Sound from Heaven. Thank you, Lord. If you brought a Bible with you tonight, I want you to go, first of all, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. You ever read anything good in Acts, chapter 2? Thank you, Lord, for Acts, chapter 2. We are Acts 2 people, aren't we? Thank you, Father. And there's so much here that happened in this chapter, and you're familiar with it. I don't want to take a lot of time with it, but there is a phrase I want to draw your attention to. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, it said, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Let me just stop there and say for a moment, the more you get to know us, when I say us, I'm talking about Sarah and me and our staff and our ministry, the more I want people to associate us with day of Pentecost people. You and I have got to be unashamedly recognized as when the day of Pentecost had fully come kind of people. Amen? Amen. Amen. And not shy away from it, but embrace it and demonstrate it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 2, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven. I'm going to say it again. Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. I came across this verse just hours ago now. Led here, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. And that just went off on the inside of me. There came a sound from heaven. Now notice this sound was as of a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't say it was a wind, it was as of. And you can tell the, the, the writer here is, is endeavoring to communicate and try to put into words something that no human being on earth had ever experienced before. And that was the day when the Holy Spirit hit this place. And he said, how can I even put it into words? It was like, like a rushing mighty wind. And the, these words, you look them up in other translation, and, and it has to do with like a violent kind of wind. A wind that would normally be associated with a lot of destruction. A lot of ripping apart, a lot of tearing down. Now, of course, none of that happened, but that's the way he's describing it. That's the, that's the kind of violence, if you will, that was happening in this room that day. But again, let me draw your attention to this. There came a sound from heaven. That word sound is the Greek word, and I'm going to, I butcher this. I don't speak the language or anything, but it's, it's echos. It's, it's E-C-H-O-S. It's certainly where we get our word echo. This word sound is the word echo. Uh, earlier this year, July of this year, 
Sarah and I and the kids, we were with Dan and Jen. Dan and Jen, everybody wave so people know who you, at, who you are. Uh, we were with them in Colorado and their family and hanging out. You guys remember the day we went on the train ride in Cripple Creek? We'd driven from uh, Jen's family's house, probably a half hour, 45 minutes away. And we drove to this little town called Cripple Creek, Colorado. And it's this old ghost town kind of. It's a gold mining town that used to be like really buzzing. And now there's just maybe a, a couple hundred people or something like that. It's a small, quiet little place. But a lot of the gold that... Uh, came out of the, the gold rush of what, I guess, the 1800s was all right there. And they're still mining for gold there. But there's a train you can take that'll take you on a little tour of this gold mining city. And at one point on the train ride, they stop and they shut the engine down and it's really quiet. And they, they lead you to look out over the side of this open train car. And it's this beautiful valley called Echo Valley. And it's exactly what you'd think it was. These mountains frame the sides of this valley, and the conductor will pull the horn and blow that whistle and then say, listen, and you can hear the echo of that whistle. And it goes on and on and on and on. And they say, you can actually hear that on a calm day. You can hear that one whistle blow for 10 miles. 10 miles away, you can hear that one sound. And it's because, you know, you know the science of sound and the way these mountains shape that valley. And what it is, is that sound bouncing off of this side, off of this side, off of this side. And it's almost, it's almost like these mountains are talking to each other. So really 10 miles from there, you, it's, it's not so much that you're hearing that train blast as you're hearing that mountain communicate to you what it just heard from that one that heard from this one that heard from that one that heard from this one that you go all the way back 10 miles that heard from the train. And yes, it is the sound, but it's the echo of it. It's the repetition of it. And um, this thought occurred to me tonight, this afternoon as I'm seeking the Lord about this, there came a sound from heaven. Hold your place right here. We'll look at it again, but go to the book of Luke chapter 4. For months we've been talking about the anointing what the anointing is, where the anointing comes from, what the anointing does, how can I get more of it? And we've been looking here in Luke chapter 4, which of course comes right after Luke chapter 3. You probably knew that. Um, but Luke chapter 4 is Jesus standing in the synagogue, having been, been handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he said in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because He has anointed me. Now, Everything Jesus says after that is, if you will, the job description of the Christ, the anointed one. If you've ever worked or had a place of employment, you've had a job description, something that outlined the expectations that that place or those people had on you and the job you were to do for them. Well, this, if you will, is the job description of the Christ, the anointed one. Not only is it, is, his, is it his job description, but it is a perfect picture of mankind and humanity before Jesus came. He said, the spirit of the Lord's on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Poor and impoverished was the permanent state that mankind was in until they encountered the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God that was present to deal with the poverty. 
And that's the condition mankind is still in unless and until they have an encounter with the anointing. That's why the book of Ephesians says you were at one time without Christ. You were at one time without an encounter with the anointed one and his anointing. So what condition were you in before you encountered this anointing? You were poor. Jesus said he he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What condition were you in before you encountered the anointing? Brokenhearted. All mankind was. So his job description as the anointed one with the anointing was to preach the gospel to the poor. Evidently, poverty is a burden and a yoke, and Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. Being brokenhearted is a burden and a yoke. Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. He said he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive. You being held captive to anything is a burden and it's a yoke. And Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. He sent me to preach recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I want you to see what happened in the moments that followed Jesus basically standing up and saying, this is what I've been hired to do. (laughs) This is what I've been employed by my Father to do. In uh, verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him, did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed. Notice this, verse 36, spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Now, were they amazed at the miracle? Sure. But what really stood out to these people about him is the way it got done. The way it happened. And that's really what everybody wants to know. How'd you do that? (laughs) When you see somebody do something that's amazing, and you can't explain it. Sure, you're amazed by whatever that thing was, but really what you want to know is, how'd you do that? Tell me how you did that. Show me how you did that. And that's why magicians hold their secrets so close, right? Because everybody wants to know, how'd you do that thing? How'd you do that? These people were amazed, not just with what happened, but with how it happened. What a word this is. Everybody say a word. word. What a word this is. This is what they were amazed at. This is what caught their attention. Not only did this demon come out of him, but how it happened. He came out when this guy said something. Now notice what happened as a result of that. Verse Verse 37. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The the King James Version says, the fame of him. The fame of him. That word fame is the exact same word that was translated sound in Acts 2. Echo. 
there was an echo that started in that place. So check this out. The voice, not, not, not the repetition of the sound, but the originator of the voice said something and it hit people. It hit them in the heart. And just like a sound bouncing off of a, this side of a mountain onto that side, onto that side, onto that side, and this, this, repetition, this repetition that takes place, that's exactly what happened here. The fame of him began to spread. The sound began to echo and echo and echo. And it didn't just go 10 miles. It went to the entire surrounding region. And I sat there today just before the Lord on this, and, and confident that this in Acts 2 is what happened. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, Lord, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I did and do what these guys did. I speak in other tongues. I'm related to people who do. I know folks who do. I spend my life around folks who do. I've never experienced the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are natural elements that are being affected by the supernatural and the world of the Spirit all the time. But I would dare say most every one of us in here who have experienced this same thing, being baptized with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit, probably didn't have accompanying with it the sound of a violent rushing mighty wind. Why not? Because, check this out, this is, this is that farm-to-table fresh right here. You ready? We're the echo. That sound that hit this place on the day of Pentecost has been bouncing off of human hearts for 2,000 years. I'm not talking about 10 miles down the road. I'm talking about generations down the road. And when I got filled and when you got filled and every one of us got filled and came into contact with the anointed one and his anointing, it was the reverberation, the echo of that word. That's what happened in the ministry of Jesus. He said a word and the echo of it, the fame of it, the sound of it bounced around all over the place until it started going into a place before he got there. What do you think happened with the woman with the issue of blood? She didn't read a scripture. All we know is that she heard about Jesus. The sound. The sound from heaven. There came a sound from heaven. And man, it bounced around that town. It bounced off of ears. It bounced off of hearts. And you and I both know, and Dale could probably explain this to us a lot better than I could, but there are certain materials that sound carries through better than others. There are certain materials that will reflect sound better than others. And I guarantee you that same thing happened in whatever city she was in in whatever city he went to, that same sound of the word, the sound from heaven that came, it bounced around 
And many people, man, it hit right in the heart. Amen. And they became a reflection of it. And it bounced right off of them into the heart of somebody else. But I guarantee you there were those that that sound hit and it fell flat. It fell dead. It didn't reverberate. You and I ought to be the kind of made out of the kind of material that a sound from heaven can hit us and bounce right off of us and begin to affect the world around us. Don't lose sight of the fact that we're still talking about the anointing. Go back to the Old Testament with me. To the book of 1 Samuel. Having spent these last few months just studying the anointing and talking with you guys about it and, 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 and talking about it as we've been traveling, it, has, it, it started as a hunger, but man, it's like this ferocious appetite now. Uh, hungry, hungry, hungry to know more about it. And, and the bottom line that I've come to concerning the anointing is that I am unwilling to live this life without it. That's the bottom line. Whatever we talk about, whatever facet of the anointing we, we uncover with the help of the Holy Spirit or we talk and discuss about together, here's the bottom line of it. I'm unwilling to live without it. And I'm not just talking about the anointing to preach and the anointing to minister. Certainly that. I'm talking about I'm unwilling to be a husband without the anointing to husband. Because it's so frustrating. It's frustrating trying to be a husband. It's frustrating trying to be a father apart from the anointing to be a father. You understand what I'm saying? And certainly the anointing to minister the Word of God. You talk about frustrating. You talk about aggravating to try to preach apart from the anointing. There have been a handful of times, folks, I have bored myself. I can't imagine what the poor people sitting out there had to endure. Blake, I don't know if you remember, man, back in youth group days, Blake here helped me so much in, in, in youth group days when Sarah and I were youth pastoring. I think this may have been pre-Sarah. I remember I preached a message one night and got to the end of it and looked at everybody and said, well, that was boring. <laughs> Honesty, I guess. But I have experienced that at times apart from the anointing, trying to do something in and of my own strength and of my own flesh. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, the more I look into the Word and find out what it has to say about what the anointing is, where the anointing comes from, how you get it, how you increase in it, how you have more of it, the bottom line for me is I just won't, don't want to do anything without it. And we began, well here, let's do this. First Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read here and then back up and cover again some of the things we've looked at, but it's important. It'll be clear to us here in just a minute. In 1 Samuel 16, this chapter is about Samuel anointing David. And he had gone at the direction of the Lord to the house of Jesse, who had a bunch of sons. And basically Samuel said, um, I need to see your sons, the, the next king's coming out of this family, one of these boys. And Jesse started marching all the sons in front of him in verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. He said, surely, this is Samuel speaking, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. We always be very careful about making assumptions about people based on what you see. The Lord's looking at the heart. So you know the story. You know how this goes. One son right after the other. Samuel says, no. Samuel says, "Uh uh-uh. Samuel says, survey says, not you. And they get down to the last one, and he's like, do you not have any more? And Jesse said, well, I got this one, but he's out in the field tending the sheep. And he said, get him in here. Nobody's sitting down until we see him. And, uh, of course, you know how it goes. In verse 12, so he sent and brought David in. David was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. The Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came on David from that day forward. An interesting thing here, we're going to look at this again in a moment, but the difference between the anointing of Saul and the anointing of David. When God anointed Saul, just after he was anointed, the scripture says, God put a new heart in him. But when God anointed David, it was because that heart was already there. And that's why he said, I'm looking at the heart. This one doesn't pass because I'm looking at the heart. This one's not it because I'm looking at the heart. He got to David and he said, that's the heart I'm looking for. So the, the anointing comes on him. The spirit of the Lord's on him from that day forward. It says in verse 14, though, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Let's read all of this, then we'll come back and talk about some of it. Verse 15, Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command you and your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on a harp, on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. Now here's the kicker. And the Lord is with him. Now how do you recognize any of that? All this other stuff is fairly visible. Good looking guy. People can look at that and... And agree, has a good looking kid. Courageous, man of valor. I mean, you see that kind of thing show up in people. But how do you look at somebody and say, the Lord is with him? It's obvious. It was obvious, remember, to Potiphar when Joseph was sold into his house. Here's an Egyptian, probably a false God-worshipping kind of guy. And the scripture says, and he could see that the Lord was with him. The anointing shows up in your life. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.